For the past several weeks, we've highlighted a number of individuals featured in David Reagan's book, God's Prophetic Voices to America. Like the prophets of old, they represent a variety of backgrounds and personalities. While none of them were shepherds or kings, cupbearers or carpenters, all of them were raised up to sound an alarm, calling those with eyes to see and ears to hear to wake up, turn back, and repent before it is too late. Today we're going to hear from one more recognized voice. Our guest had the discernment several years ago to realize that we are living in the season of the Lord's return and the motivation to dedicate his life to proclaiming that wonderful truth. Stay tuned as we seek insight from Dr. David Reagan himself. Hi, I'm Tim Moore, and welcome to this episode of Christ in Prophecy. Today we're going to go right back to the beginning on our series of God's Prophetic Voices and talk to the man who actually wrote the book, Dr. David Reagan. Dave, I'm so excited to have you back with us today on our newly remodeled set, and uh, I can't say enough about how eager we were all to get you back here. Well, thank you. I was very eager to get back, and uh, I am very impressed with the wraparound versatile set that you and your staff have put together here. It's wonderful. Well, it gives us a lot of flexibility, and i got to tell you, I'm glad to finally have you in the hot seat for a change. <laughs> but before we jump into today's episode, I know that our viewers will be eager to hear what's been happening in your life and some of the significant changes that have uh, taken place over these past few months. Not only did you step into an evangelist emeritus role here at Lamb & Lion Ministries, but you actually were married to Linda in mid-June and have been on a whirlwind honeymoon for a few weeks. So with all that broad review, catch us up on what you've been up to. Well, I tell you, I've, I've had events happening very quickly in my life because on June the 1st, as you know, I stepped aside, turned the leadership of the ministry over to you, retreated to my home, and uh, I'm going to focus on writing in the future. And then uh, 11 days later, I got married uh, to a wonderful lady uh, named Linda, who I had known uh, for 45 years. I knew her husband well, and he uh, died in uh, May of 2020, and my wife passed on in August of 2020. And in December, we started talking with each other, and then uh, about a year later, we got married. And so uh, we have uh, just been getting acquainted with each other even better, and uh, been on a honeymoon to New Mexico. Well, I know you've had a great time, and it was even cooler than normal in New Mexico. Oh, yes, it was wonderful. <laughs> well, my wife and I corresponded through the mail and courted that way, so I understand those long-distance love affairs. Yes. You know, Dave, before even our transition date on June 1st, I had envisioned a series of programs going back to your book, God's Prophetic Voices to America, and you endorsed that and gave me the blessing to go ahead and travel around the country to visit those individuals at their home church or their headquarters and interviewing them demonstrating our appreciation for their ongoing ministry and the voice they provided. But I want to know, how did you come up with the list of individuals that you actually featured in your book? Well, before I answer your question, let me just say that I was extremely impressed with the uh, interviews that you did with these fellows. I thought that you did your research well in the background, asked them very relevant questions, and got them to really open up and talk. Uh, where I got the idea is uh, really dates to the mid-70s. 
in the mid-70s, before I found this ministry in 1980, in the mid-70s, in 1974, uh, David Wilkerson published a book called The Vision. Yes. And I got that book and read it, and I was profoundly impressed by it because he talked about uh, a vision that God had given him about this nation and its future. And the vision was very, very dismal. It was a, a vision of increasing immorality, increasing violence, uh, increasing economic irresponsibility. And um, it got me to thinking about where is this nation going? And I uh, began to study Bible prophecy as never before. And I thought, well, the signs of the times are coming together. We're living in those uh, last days, and I better get out of academics and into uh, teaching Bible prophecy and warning people of the soon coming of Jesus. So it was that book that really was sort of the turnaround for me at that time. Wow. So really that book spurred you into this ministry yes. with the Lord's leading, obviously. Yes. And then later on, David Wilkerson became one of your prophetic voices to America. That's right. That's how I selected him. And uh, it was uh, uh, when I started selecting, uh, I think there's what, 13 yes, sir. Uh, that I have in here. And of the 13, what I did is I started looking around at who in the world was really speaking about the sins of America. Mm. That's something that most pastors today don't want to talk about is sin. They want to talk about bad choices. And we're not going to accuse anybody of sinning. Or, and, and yet that's the essence of the gospel. We're sinners. Uh, our only hope is faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I started looking about who is really speaking out about the sins of this nation. Who is calling good evil and good and evil good? And then the next thing I looked was who is following that up by calling people to repentance? And so I began to focus on those two things, and boy, did I run across a group of people who were doing that, who were really identifying the sins of this nation and calling for repentance. And one of the things that surprised me, uh, Tim, is that most of these turned out to be pastors, and that really surprised me. Yeah. Uh, the people who specialized in Bible prophecy are all out there arguing over when the rapture is going to occur and, and when the uh, Antichrist is going to be revealed and all these tech, uh, points about Bible prophecy, which are important. But it was the pastors who seemed to be really focusing on the sins of the nation and the need for this nation to repent. Well, there certainly have been a variety of people in your book that you identified yeah. as these prophetic voices. I would observe that like the prophets of ancient Judah and Israel, these prophetic voices seem to have been ignored, even though they were sent by God. And at times their very warnings have been scoffed at or provoked angry denouncements. Some of the ones I've already interviewed have talked, and we've featured, have talked about uh, the denouncement that they received even from some who would be right. their supposed allies. And all of those responses mirror what the prophets of old experienced. So in spite of these uh, warnings or the failure of these warnings to change the nature, nation, what does this prove about the very character of God that He would even send these warnings? Well, one thing it proves about God is that He is a God who is long-suffering, who is patient, and who is full of loving kindness. Uh, any God created by the mind of man would have zapped us a long time ago because of our overwhelming rebellion against the one who has blessed this nation beyond mm -hmm. anything any nation has ever known. And yet 
He has been so patient with us. Uh, For example, in Psalm 103 and verse 8 it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And that particular statement is said over and over and over throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. It also reminds me of a passage in the book of Nahum, where Nahum in chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. And we shout, Hallelujah! Yes, we do. But then you go back up to verse 2 and listen to what it says. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. He reserves wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger. Praise God. And great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. You know, all of the prophetic Word of God provides not only an insight to the wrath, the judgment that we are deserving of, but gives an opportunity for hope. I go back to Psalm 2 where it talks about the the kings taking a stand, and it is a vain thing that God actually laughs at from the heavens. But at the end it gives a message of hope, how blessed are all those who take refuge in Him, meaning the Son. And yes. so that hope is part of the wrath, but God always warns. It is. He pours and, out and, but you, you just put your finger on something else, and that is that one of the most overlooked topics in preaching today is the wrath of God. Nobody yeah. wants to preach about the wrath of God. Nobody wants to hear about the wrath of God. You could go to church at most churches for the rest of your life and never hear one sermon about the wrath of God. Uh, all we hear is God is a God of love and, and forgiveness and loving kindness and on and on. And yes, He is. But he has another aspect to his uh, character, and that is he's a God of of peace, uh, a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. And as such, he has to deal with sin. Yes, he does. And he does that with the wrath that he pours out. But again, because he's a God of loving kindness, he never pours out his wrath without warning. And he does that through prophetic voices and through what I call remedial judgments, where he puts a judgment like in the book of Joel. Joel begins the book by saying, you've had a terrible locust invasion. That was the worst thing that could happen to an agricultural country in that day and time. It meant people were going to starve to death. It meant cattle were going to starve to death. And, And he says, you're wringing your hands over this locust invasion and saying, oh, what bad luck. And he says, I got news for you. This has nothing to do with luck. God sent the locusts and He sent them to call you to repentance. And if you do not repent, He's going to send something worse than locusts. He's going to send an army. And He certainly did. And because he did. they didn't, eventually, uh, they, they stayed wicked and uh, did not stay right. in a right relationship with God. So, when, Dave, you mentioned 1974 reading Dave Wilkerson's book, but when did it really sink into your heart that our nation, and the world at large really, is heading down the path of destruction? And when did you discern, specifically for America, that our wound is incurable? Well, you mentioned that term, wound incurable. Most people are not aware of that, but if you look that up, go to Google, folks, and and, uh, you know, uh, type in the, the wound that is incurable, and you'll find it over and over in the Old Testament. It is, the, it is the point at which a point of no return. Mm. From that point on, God has set His mind that He's going to judge, and because the wound is incurable. It's when people rebel to the point that they absolutely refuse to repent. They're shaking their fist at God. He's sent the prophets, He's sent the remedial judgments, and they will not repent. And so at that point, it, the wound becomes incurable. Now, when did I decide that? I'm not certain, but I know this. The first step was reading uh, his book, uh, Dave Wilkerson's book in 1974 that really got me to thinking. And then looking back on it, it's amazing. Peter Marshall in like 1944 
mm -hmm. called for a prophet. He said, we need a prophet. We need a perfect a person with a prophetic voice who will call this nation to repentance because I see it's going toward materialism, uh, racism, and so forth and so on. He said, the days ahead are going to be dark unless we have prophetic voices calling us to repentance. Tw uh, in 1974, that voice appears, <coughs> David Wilkerson. But that was not the only one. There was a whole group that appeared there. The next year, Francis Schaeffer appears on the scene with his book, with his movie. And what was the title of it? A rather unusual yeah, title. Yes, uh, How Shall We Then Live. Yeah, How Shall We Then Live. And again, he was talking about the, the, the triumph of humanism in our society. How people were putting their trust in men rather than putting their trust in God. And he warned us that that was a, a, a road to devastation and call to repentance. And then hardly had he done that until 1977, a man by the name of Don Wildman, who was a a pastor of a little country church in Tupelo, Mississippi. God called him and he stepped out and said, we've got to do something about the increasing immorality and violence on television and movies in this country. And he formed his National Federation for Decency, which now is called the American Family Association. So, you've got 1974, Dave Wilkerson, 1975, uh, Francis Schaefer, 1977, Don Wildman, and then to top it off, the, the cream on the pudding was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which people say, well, what does he have to do with America? Well, he was kicked out of Russia. He wandered around Europe. He finally came to the United States, settled in Vermont. And in 19, I forget what year it was. I think I have a note here. 1978. 78. 1978, he was invited to be the, uh, the, the commencement speaker at Harvard. And he was welcomed as a conquering hero. People thought he was wonderful. You know, he's going to come and denounce communism. No. no. He came and criticized America, his host country, which they thought was very crude and rude. But what he said was, you, people have asked for years, why did we end up with 70 years of communism suffering like that? And he said there was one answer. Men forgot God. And he said, I say to you today, this nation is on the same path. You have forgotten God and you're going to end up in the same situation that we were in. And we certainly have gone down that path. I will add another voice to that. You talked about through the 70s. In 1980, God raised you up. And so I want to ask you this. Let's talk about your own role as a prophetic voice. As a boy, you were a gifted orator. I know that. You won competitions. But you were also very gifted academically and naturally curious. Uh, you actually had hobbies to include taking photos. I, I love seeing some of the pictures you took of a disaster in Waco, Texas that were published just in recent years. But then your career propelled you toward degrees in international relations, the academic realm, the business world, and even politics. And ironically, even that varied background is what the Lord was using to prepare you for this role to lead Lamb and Lion Ministries for so many years. So tell us how God called you to proclaim Jesus soon return. Well, I graduated from the University of Texas in 1959. I had gone through, you know, nonstop. I was tired, so I decided to lay out a year and decide whether to go to law school or graduate school. And uh, God called me into the ministry. Within a matter of weeks, through a bizarre series of circumstances, I was pastoring a little church in Grosbeck, Texas. The poor people, I feel sorry for them. I knew nothing about pastoring. Church only had two families and they both hated each other. One sat on one side, the other. Nobody would do anything. I had to lead the singing. I had to do the communion. I had to lead the prayers. I had to do the Ooh. preaching, everything. And where you out? And I knew God had called me. But unlike Isaiah who said, here am I, Lord, send me. I said, here am I, Lord, send anybody in the world but me because I've got my own idea for the future. I was going to go to school and either law school or graduate school and I was going to 
uh, ultimately end up being a politician like you did. And, uh, so I, uh, I walked away from God. And I make Jonah look like a, uh, an amateur in running from God. He only ran for a short time. I ran for 20 years. And during that time I accomplished many things. You know, I won a Fulbright Fellowship. I, I, I got all kinds of awards and accolades. But I was miserable. I was miserable because I was not in the center of God's will. And finally, when I got into the study of Bible prophecy, I had a burning sensation in my heart to share this with as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. And so, I, I just finally decided, I, I don't have time to go into all the details, but one day I decided I had to give it up. So, I went to the uh, president of the university that I was vice president of at the time, and I said, I am resigning. And he said, you're resigning? I said, yes, I'm giving you two weeks notice. He said, well, do you need a new car? I said, no. You want a membership in the country club? I said, no. I, just not, I said, I, I've been called of God to preach. And he was a former preacher. He said, oh, well, I understand. What church? I said, no church. He said, what are you going to do? I'm just going to step out and preach. Jesus is coming soon. We're living in the season of the Lord's return. Amen. He said, oh, when are you going to do that? I said, two weeks. He looked at his calendar. He said, hmm, that's April the 1st. He said, all I can say to you is you selected a very appropriate date. <laughs> well, what was foolishness to man was actually yeah. God's work through you and in your life. And so we are grateful for that fact. Well, I am grateful that I finally did it. But the interesting thing is that I realized later that all the time that I was running from God, He was preparing me for what I was going to do. He had me teaching international law, international politics. And that's what end time Bible prophecy sure. is all about, is international politics. And so when I finally said yes and took the plunge, I suddenly was preaching and teaching end time international politics from the biblical viewpoint instead of from Harvard's viewpoint. Well, some people think that uh, Christians sometimes think that politics is a dirty human oh. endeavor. And as a former legislator, I can say <laughs> that it is, is a sordid uh, arena. But yet, the prophets in the Bible were frequently sent to call out kings and rulers. And they were intertwined in the political realm for instance, in Israel and Judah, and God's revelation about the end times has much to say about the nations of the world and politics, if you will. So, this is part of Bible prophecy. And so, where are we today? Not well, just I, in America, but in the world. Let me just comment on something you said there. I, I wish more people would realize that that is the nature of the prophetic call part of it at least, and that is to speak out about what's going on in society. Any preacher who gets up and preaches from the Word of God about a societal problem like same-sex marriage, homosexuality, uh, national debt, whatever, he is delivering a prophetic message. Yes. That's a message that takes God's Word and applies it to contemporary situations. And, and yet people, I get mail all the time saying, why are you criticizing the president? Why are you criticizing the Secretary of State? Why are, you're, not, you're not supposed to judge anybody. You're not supposed to say anything critical of anybody. You're a Christian. Come on. Look at what the prophets did. They not only called them out, they read him the ride. They certainly Amos, did. Amos, a fig picker from Tekoa, went from, from Judah where he was born up to a to the northern nation of Israel and read them the riot act. And in did. fact, uh, the high priest went to the king and said, you can't believe what this guy down from Judah is saying about you and about this nation. And the king said, you go tell him that he either stop or I'm going to kill him. So he goes and tells him and, and Amos looks him in the face and says, let me tell you something. Because of what you've done, you are going to die. Your wife is going to die. Your whole family is going to die. And they did. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of preaching, though, that, as you said, people don't like to oh. offer today, even as pastors. And yet, 
when you have the prophetic word sink into your heart. I love what you said a few moments ago. It became like a burning yeah, in yeah, your right. heart to share that good news or that truth. And that's exactly what the disciples on the road to Emmaus said when Jesus revealed to them the prophetic word. Yeah, yeah. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? So let's go back for a minute to that bright-eyed boy from Texas. <laughs> because in the 50s, America was at the pinnacle of its, uh, its economic and its yeah. military superpower yeah. status. And yet we still had some moral clarity, at least on the, yes, the uh, you know, yes. the visible signs. And yet there was already decay in our bones. As we move toward the 80s, and some people refused to understand the direction we were headed, how easy was it to convince Christians in particular, but people in general, that we are headed in the wrong direction? How did they resonate with your message early on? Almost impossible to convince anyone. I had a new... Uh, uh, I guess a, a new sensation about the shortness of time in 1991 when the uh, Iron Curtain fell. And I went to Russia. And I could not believe my eyes. I went in the stores in Moscow. They're all empty. They had no food. They had no clothing. Nothing. Clerks were standing there, but they mm. had nothing to sell. The streets were filled with hundreds of thousands of people with card tables, and they were a border economy. I'll trade you blue jeans for milk. I'll play you this for cheese. And I stood there and looked at it, and God spoke to my heart. And He said, Go back and preach this. Tell the people of America that to those to whom much is given, much is expected. I have blessed I them agree. more than any other nation in the world. When I lower my judgment on them, it will be nothing compared. I mean, this will be nothing compared to what's going to happen to America. These people have not had radios and televisions to listen to sermons. They haven't had Bibles. You've had the radio sermons. You've had the TV sermons. You've had the Christian bookstores. You've had, and yet you're rebelling against me. You're turning against me. Tell America that I came back. I preached it and, and people wouldn't invite me back. And people would just say, that's nonsense. I think what happened is that American people began to think that God would never touch us because we are the greatest nation in the world. Right. Uh, he sits on His throne in, in an American flag draped over His shoulders. They, they treated me the same way they treated Jeremiah when the, Jeremiah would say, repent or be destroyed. And they said, the, the temple, temple, the temple, the temple. And what they meant by that was, God will never touch us because His Shekinah glory dwells in the temple. You're insane to say that He would let somebody destroy that temple. Yet they did. Exactly. So, I spoke of that very passage this last week on July 4th yeah. uh, as we were taping because it is so important to apply that truth to America today. And, and I'll observe uh, again that we have drifted. Many people now understand that we are on a very dangerous yeah. path. Yes. So, as we look forward, what do you, we don't ever make a prediction of when the Lord's coming back. That would be unbiblical and ungodly. But we say we're living in the season of the Lord's return. If He stays His coming, Learning from the example of Judah and Israel and applying biblical discernment to our own day and age, what do you see happening in America and around the world in the next 6 to 12 months, 5 to 10 years, see, or next generation or two? I see our nation and the world becoming increasingly dark with increasingly immorality, violence, uh, collapse of economies. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And the reason I know that is because I know we're living in the season of the Lord's mm -hmm. return because all the signs have converged. And all end time Bible prophecy speaks of increasing apostasy in the church, the church becoming ever more apostate, and society becoming as immoral and violent as it was in the days of Noah. So, you know, we have preachers all over the nation today preaching we're going to have this great revival. And I, I know, I, I, I wish that were true. I do not believe it will happen. Uh, but 
I can understand their feeling, and I'm not going to criticize them for that, but I'm going to say this. I do not believe there's any hope for revival in this nation because of the fact that we are in the end times. We're seeing these prophecies fulfilled before our very eyes, and that's why Adrian Rogers, the great pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord, said that uh, uh, the world is growing gloriously dark because yes. the darkness shows Jesus at the very gate of Heaven about to return. And Jan Markell's always saying, the world is not falling to pieces. All the pieces are falling into place. Exactly so. And so we have great hope, even though there is not hope oh, for America as a whole or the world, there is hope for every individual. individual every yes. individual watching yes. this program or hearing this message can turn in repentance to Jesus Christ, accept the free offer of salvation Amen. from Amen. Him. Well, our viewers would be eager to know, so I have to ask, Dave, what is your next writing project? You <laughs> mentioned you're going to write, so what's the next book that we can look forward to? Well, it's a book that uh, I was going to originally name America's Destiny. But I'm fiddling with the name right now. And the name that's on my mind most right now and probably will end up with is America's Suicide. Oh, boy. Well, now that is a, a indictment of where we are. Yes. But again, there is still hope Always for every hope. individual who recognizes that without the Lord, without His grace, we have no hope. But only in Him do we have salvation. And boy, do we have it. I mean, it's wonderful to put your hope in Jesus Christ and be able to look forward to the future of all the promises He has given us. You know, as long as I've known you, and when you began to speak in the early 90s uh, with that conviction that we are really turning the corner toward the end is when I first heard you and my heart became inflamed. Yeah. So I am so very grateful. Well, people would be uh, angry at me if I did not give you the opportunity to answer any question that I either failed to ask or did not ask. What would you like to share with our viewers today? What I would share with your viewers is that we have run out of time. Our time is short. Jesus is at the very gates. The rapture could occur any moment. Don't be left behind. Put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He is our only hope. Not political parties, not political leaders, Jesus Christ. Well, Dave, I can tell you this. Uh, it has been a distinct honor to follow in your footsteps. As I've said, it's very humbling because you have about size 18 shoes that I have to try to fill. But I want to personally thank you, not only for your continued service in and through Lamb and Lion Ministries, to the Lord Himself, but for the legacy that you have established. Boy, we are all humbled to be able to follow in the calling that the Lord laid on your life. So thank you for joining me on this episode of Christ well, and Prophecy. I praise God for raising you up to do so. <laughs> you and the Lord God. I will give both credit, but uh, praise to Him and thanks right. to you. Right. And I can assure you and our viewers that Dave Reagan will be back when he produces a book or other things. We're going to have him back on a regular basis, and we even have some other surprise projects in store. Oh, so stay tuned. For a donation of $25 or more, we'd love to send you the complete God's Prophetic Voices series in a three DVD set so you can watch it again and again or share it with others. Our series begins with a review of some important voices from the past. Those include Peter Marshall, David Wilkerson, Francis Schaeffer, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Then join Senior Evangelist Tim Moore as he takes Christ and Prophecy on the road to interview some of the most well-known prophetic voices in America today, including Erwin Lutzer, Jan Markell, Al Mohler, Robert Jeffress, Jonathan Kahn, Michael Brown, and of course, David Reagan. This series affirms the biblical principle that God always warns before pouring out His wrath, but also confirms that so far, America's turned a deaf ear to these messages and to the remedial judgments God has sent.
Time is indeed running short. Just call the number you see on the screen or visit our website to place your order today. I hope you enjoyed today's show and our very special guest. In fact, I pray that this 10-part series on God's prophetic voices has been a blessing to you. As He did with Israel and Judah, God has been faithful to raise up prophetic voices here in America. Individually and collectively, they call us to repent and turn back to Him. They warn that God will not be mocked and that His righteous anger toward people who ought to know better will be worse than for those who never claimed to know Him in the first place. So far, America has not heeded these voices. That does not undermine the importance of their call or their message. Like Ezekiel of old, God would have held them to account if they failed to cry out. What about you? You may be the only watchman in your family, or your community, or at your church. If you understand the dire situation we are in, do you also have a responsibility to cry out? I pray that this series has motivated you to speak up. As Erwin Lutzer wrote, we cannot be silenced. The culture will try to cancel us. But greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. I do know this. God will continue to raise up prophetic voices until the cup of His wrath overflows. We do not know how much longer He will wait, but as long as we have time, we have a mission. This is Tim Moore for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Godspeed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank <laughs> you.